So this morning, our text is, is Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 20. It's the birth of Jesus. And we're going to be, I'm going to be telling it again at the end of the, at the, end of the sermon, but I just wanted to start by saying, you know, I was, like I said, I was laying, <laughs> throughout this week I've been praying and studying this word, but on, on Christmas Eve, laying there thinking about it and realizing that this text, this passage about Jesus being born, it's about Jesus. It's about the Savior who has come for us. And it's different because it's, it's, a, it's a passage, it's good news for us, and it's, but I also want to make sure that we understand it's not about us. What I mean by that is oftentimes people come or we come to church, we want help with our marriage or we want help with how to handle our money or we want um, help to how to become a better self, like how to self-improve ourselves. And this passage, it gets there eventually, but it doesn't start there. It starts with Jesus, with Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. This great news, this great story that God is starting in his son. See, stories are powerful. They shape a community, they shape cultures. And I started to realize, too, that this story about Jesus and the kingdom of God, they are no longer the dominant story of our culture. I mean, most of you know this. I mean, the, the world around us no longer really recognizes or really has much time for Jesus or the kingdom of God. Our culture is shaped by different stories now. One of the stories that shapes our culture is individualism, where the world revolves all around me. I am the center of my universe. No one else, there's no God or anything above me. It's just me. My world is all about me, individualism. And we hear it work out in people's lives. I mean, people talk about, I mean, their idea of truth. No longer do people really talk about the truth, the overarching truth that's true for everyone. Now people talk about my individual truth and your individual truth. You can have your idea of things and I'll have my idea of things, but, but don't try to tell me how to think. I'm an individual. It even works out in our understanding of freedom. Freedom, I'd say maybe a generation ago or two generations ago, freedom was freedom from tyranny. But now freedom has been seen as, freedom is more of a right. I have a right to be free from responsibility to other people. I'm free from accountability to other people. I'm free to live my life the way I want to, to do things what I want, when I want, and how I want with anyone, without anyone having anything to say about it. That's many people's understanding of freedom. So that's just one is individualism. The other thing, too, is that, that works throughout or the story that, that shapes our culture is consumerism. Everything's about what can be bought and sold or a commodity. I mean, I hear, I mean, it's, you hear it, it's even, it's worked through much of our lives where people have not only starter houses, but starter spouses. I don't know if you've heard that, where people say this, I mean, I've heard people say, like, uh, that was my starter wife or my starter husband, as they would move on to another person after a few years. It even happens in the church. People talk about shopping for a church. And I, I mean, I don't want to be too hard on people, but do you understand how that consumerism has affected all of our lives, where people come to a church and they think, well, they're all stay, I don't know, do I like the music or not, or do the programs work for me or not? We even look at church like a commodity, something we consume. So individualism and consumerism, these are stories that shape the culture around us. But it's interesting because both of these have led to an inversion of morality. I mean, our culture is growing in many ways and advancing in many ways, but morality, there's this inversion. Inversion, I don't know if you know that word, but I was just looking it up because I was thinking about it, that the lake actually goes through a process of inversion um, when the cold water on top 
gets heavier than the water below, and the water on the lake actually turns over. They talk about it as the lake turning over, and it mixes things up. It's interesting because I see this inversion happening in our society too, our culture, where things that used to be right are now just considered traditional or old-fashioned or sometimes even intolerant. And things that were once viewed as, as wrong or bad for us are now celebrated as diversity. I mean, think about just this one example, is that, you know, two generations ago, culture generally said, you know, it's not good to, um, to have sex before you're married. And now we live in a time where people say that, you know, if you're not sleeping together by the second or third date, then what's wrong with you? Just how things have changed in just a generation or two. We need a, a story. We need a counter story to the story of our community, to the story of our culture. This is the dominant story of individualism and consumerism. These are the, the dominant stories of our time. And we need a counter story. We need a counter story that's good and that corrects these things that are broken in our society. Even in Jesus' day, there was a dominant story. And the dominant story of Jesus' time was that Caesar ruled the world. Did you know that there was actually an imperial cult? They venerated Caesar to the, to the status of God. Uh, for example, uh, Julius Caesar, they viewed him as a god. And it was, it was all a means of control. I mean, sure, some people maybe bought into it willingly, but others it was a, use, as a means of controlling the masses. You know, if, if Caesar is God, then you don't want to go against him because who wants to go against God? So they systematically, they put up temples, they made feast days, they had a priestly group, did all this to perpetuate, to grow this idea that Caesar was God. Now, it's interesting because Luke, in his gospel, he mentions Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was too humble to say that he was God. He, wouldn't really, he didn't want people to say he was God, but he was okay with people saying that he was the son of God. He was okay with that. He actually was the son or the adopted son of his great uncle Julius Caesar. I mean, it's complicated. Don't ask. But, but he wanted people, he allowed people to believe that he was in some ways divine. People called him Lord. They even called him the Savior. See, when Augustus Caesar, uh, when Augustus Caesar came into power, there were actually three Roman uh, rulers at that time or three um, people who were kind of all controlling the Roman Empire and he defeated the other two. And so he took over power and they said that he was the savior who, who united the Roman Empire. It's interesting they used the word savior. And they would say that he was the savior who brought, pre, who brought peace to the whole world. Now by peace, they meant Pax Romana, which really wasn't peace. It was more like everyone else was afraid to stand up or say anything against him. And by the whole world, they just meant the Roman Empire. And it's interesting too, that he had this, so with Caesar Augustus, he had the idea of son of God, savior, savior who brings peace to the whole world. And there were gospels that went out about Caesar. Now we think of gospels, we think of the things that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and John wrote, right? Sorry, not Luke, yeah, Luke, uh, sorry. <laughs> the, the gospels in the Bible, right? We think of those stories as gospels, but do you know that gospel uh, was actually a generic term in Greek that meant good news? So there were, people would come and they would bring you gospel. They would bring you good news of things. They'd bring you good news of great military victories. 
They would bring you good news of, of, a, of the emperor having a son or a child. They would even send out apostles. I know we think of apostles like leaders in a church, but apostle literally means a sent one, a messenger. So Caesar would send out apostles with gospels or good news about things that were happening in the empire. All of this was to show that Caesar was, this, was, that, was lord over everything. That Caesar was at the top of this pyramid and everyone else was below him. It's interesting, I mean, it's, I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Why does Luke mention Caesar Augustus? Why does he mention a census? Why does he mention Quirinius, the governor of Syria? Is it just a really uh, uh, creative literary device to tell us when Jesus was born or the, t- or the particular year? Or is he up to something else? Or is Luke trying to get us to see more? Why does he mention a census, right? I mean, we think of census. We think of, you know, you get that little form in the mail and you fill out the boxes and you send it away so, so Ottawa can serve us better, Right? The census was very different in the first century. A census was less about forms and it was more like Ebenezer Scrooge counting up his gold shillings. A census was all about figuring out how many people he could tax, how many people existed or lived in his empire and how he could tax them to get more money. You see, taxes had a dual purpose. Not only did they take money from the poor, keeping them poor and keeping them down, but also funneled it to the top, to the rich and the powerful, that they become even more rich and even more powerful. You see, an oppressed people are a compliant people. A people who are held down in poverty are much less likely to rise up and revolt. Not only that, but a census reminded people, reminded a conquered people that they belong to Caesar now. When he said jump, they could ask how high, but only if they were already in the air on their way up. People needed a new story. They needed a counter story to the story that had been told in their culture that shaped who they were. This was the dominant story. Caesar rules the world. That is until one night. One night when a teenage girl from a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere called Nazareth, when her and her carpenter husband traveled to Bethlehem, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And I know, and I've I've said this a few times, but I wonder if we realize what a scandal it was the way King Jesus came into this world, the way the Lord came into this world. Born of a teenage girl. In that time, in the first century, teenage girls, their status was just above slave. They were more like property, And she married a carpenter, not a great prince, not a military general, but a carpenter from Nazareth. And when their child, this great king, this king of kings was born, they didn't wrap him in silk, they wrapped him in cloths. He wasn't born into a quilt, laid on a quilted pillow in a marble palace, he was laid in a manger, a feed trough in a barn in Bethlehem. And when he was born, at least from what we hear from Luke's account, there wasn't a great procession, there wasn't a parade. There were shepherds who came. More outcasts, more people who lived on the edge of society who came to celebrate the birth of this child. 
that this great king would be king for all people, even for the lowest of the low. We need to hear this alternative story, this counter story. And we hear it in the words of the angel. When the angel comes and he appears to the, to the shepherds, and he brings them great news, a new story that will be a story for all people, not just the first century, but for every century, not just for Israel, but for every culture around the world. He was bringing this new story. And the angel gives us a clue, gives us a hint of what it is. The angel gives us this hint when he says, I bring you good news. I bring you a gospel of good news that will be great joy for all people. You see, today in the town of David, not in Rome, not in Damascus, not in Babylon, but in Bethlehem, the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is the one that you will call Lord. He is the one that you will call the Messiah. He is the one that you will call Savior. This counter story, the story that's rising up to challenge the story that that Caesar ruled the world, God is showing us a new story. The reality that he rules the world, that his son is king of kings, that Jesus is Lord of lords. In the first century, the people needed this other story. They needed this counter story to Caesar. They prayed for it and they hoped for it. In our culture today, we too need this counter story. The story that God became human and lived among us then died on a cross so that we might be right with our Father in heaven and then rose again giving us hope of life eternal. We need this counter story. That God's kingdom has come. Not fully yet, but it has come. I mean, our culture is disintegrating around us. Families are breaking down. It's an exception now for a family to be made up of parents and children. Oftentimes they're much more complicated than that. And all that comes with its own set of hurt. Not only that, but things are also going wrong in our culture. And people are, (coughs) for example, uh, politics in our culture. Things are going wrong. How many politicians can you count that you trust? How things have changed. Or what about economically? Article after article talking about it. How the rich are getting richer. CEOs and heads of corporations are getting richer and richer. As more and more people slip below the poverty line. And as the middle class finds that their dollars do less and less each year. I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't know how many of you have heard this, but my generation is predicted to be the first generation that is less uh, prosperous than the generation before it. Things are falling apart in our culture. Certain, sure, certain things are advances, but morally... And in our society, things are breaking down. We need this counter story. You know, it's interesting. In the, in the 19th century, the Western world uh, worked to abolish slavery. First in the British Empire and then in the U.S. 
Do you know that today there are more slaves than at any other time in human history? Most of them are women and children working in the sex trade. Society is digressing. I mentioned it at the beginning of the sermon uh, today, talking this morning, talking about the story of individualism and how that affects us. To a world that is shaped by individualism, we need a gospel. We need a counter story that says, love your neighbor as yourself. To a culture that's shaped by greed, we need a culture, we need, we need a counter story, a gospel that says, give and it will be given back to you, a good measure, shaken down and overflowing. To a culture that's shaped by consumerism, we need a gospel that says, do not be afraid about what you eat or what you will wear, for the pagans run after these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We need to hear this alternative story, this counter gospel in our culture today. We need to live as kingdom people here, hearing Jesus and the kingdom that he brought to us the kingdom that he's begun. We need to live as kingdom people. So with all this leading up, listen to this story again. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. It was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone returned to his own home to register. So Joseph went up from Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of the great king David. He went to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time had been fulfilled for their child to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger. Meanwhile, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. And the angel of the Lord said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. This great king, you'll find him lying in a manger. And then suddenly, a whole company, a whole army of heavenly hosts appear with the angel. And they begin praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, to all those whom God's favor rests. And after they had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the child laying in a manger. And when they seen this, they went and they declared, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And everyone who heard it was amazed by what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all of these things and she pondered them in her heart. 
Then the shepherds left, glorifying and praising God for everything that they had seen and heard. Because it was just as they had been told. Now this passage from Luke, this story that Luke tells us about the birth of Jesus, there's much to unpack. There's much to talk about the way this has implications for our lives and the way we live in God's kingdom and how we live as kingdom people in this world. But this morning, I feel God leading us just to praise him, to worship him. So we'll spend the rest of the morning singing, singing and praising God. Amen.